Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain, where we make you the complete clinician. At another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast this morning with my partner, Jared Hall. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a clinical process because we've, we, we posted on social media. You need a clinical process. You need to have something that guides what you're doing day to day. Don't just fill up toolboxes. Get a process to know what it's all about, to, to know what tool with what patient at what time, the more specifics and the more nuance of it. Um, and maybe avoid some of the things that Jared and I have, you know, maybe past we've taken in our career that looking back, we're probably could have did some more efficient ways of, of becoming effective and efficient in a clinic. But before we dive into our experiences in the clinic, let's welcome in our co-host. How are you doing, Jared Hall? Man, I'm doing well. As you can see by my shirt, if you guys are watching, I am keeping it funky. Right, a uh, little little hat tip to Fort Worth or Funky Town that I live in. No, I'm I'm excited to talk about a clinical process because it's something that I didn't have, <laughs> like I didn't have for probably uh, several months or maybe even years after I graduated. Yeah, it, it, and I, I share this with our students in our programs too. Just like you know, my clinical process was okay. I got a lot of stuff I've learned, and there's a patient in front of me. They got pain, and I'm just going to just chuck the kitchen sink at this patient because by golly, something's got to help. And so a lot of times, thankfully it did, you know, we, we've had a decent average in the clinic, you know, provided maybe you're working in more complex scenarios where it's not as, as much of that natural history doing its thing. But what I remember at the end of those things, I had zero idea of that kitchen sink of things I've thrown out a patient, which one of those things really made the difference. And so I never could set up a clinical process where I was really learning in the clinic because you know what, what we talk about with a clinical process is it gives you that n equals one kind of experiment that you can kind of learn te- you know test treat retest set up you know where we're individualizing our interventions and you're, you're testing to see is it making an impact on the patient in front of me versus just you know the cross your fingers and man i hope after that you know barrage of things i've thrown at the patient that they're going to feel better um so and it, it it, it, to me, it's, it's, that's where like experts gather and get to where these clinical patterns form much more quickly because uh, the, the thought I've had with students is, okay, you know, you chuck that kitchen sink at that patient, they get better. The next time a patient very similarly comes through, you're going to have to chuck the kitchen sink at them again. What, what happens if we step back and you just really dissect that a little bit? You take each intervention, you kind of step back, you have a conversation with the patient, see how, where they're at, where it fits from a patient-centered uh, perspective. And then you have some uh, test, treat, retest measures to see within each intervention, which one seemed to make the impact or change their, their what we call asterisk signs. And we can get into more of these things maybe later in the podcast, but um, which ones change the things that the patient's looking for you to come in and change. And then you next time, maybe it took you four treatments to get to the fourth one um, that eventually really made a difference because you validated that the first three weren't really doing much. You don't need to wait, go through the first three. You get to that fourth one right out of the gate and you get to be much more effective. Now, of course, 
individualized treatments. There may be people that don't perfectly respond that way, but you'll often see clinical patterns. That's what we call clinical pattern recognition. And you'll see certain conditions that kind of present similarly um, uh, in the in the clinic that often can respond to similar things, um, especially things that you um, find or you work well in your practice. So why not get your practice efficient, especially when, man, you're getting a lot of patients in the door for some clinics, you know, four, five, an hour, you know, the, the, your efficiency is hugely important. I mean, it's important in any scenario, but man, if you got a, a pretty high productivity standard, it, that can be the difference between you burning out and you thriving in that standard. And so what's, what's been your development, kind of that clinical process in your, in your journey there, Jared? Man, uh, you know, when I came out of school, I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't have a process at all. It was kind of just like a bunch of knowledge uh, with no real framework on how to apply it very well. And uh, it was ask as many questions as I possibly could try to get, you know, all sorts of information. And while, while the patient was answering one question, I was already thinking about what's the next question while they were answering that question. I was already thinking about what's the new next two questions I was going to ask them. And, uh, you, you know, I wasn't actually really listening well to what they were saying for one. And, and for me, if you're going to have any sort of solid framework or process, the, the foundational principle is actually really listening well to what that person is telling you, asking good open-ended questions that, that maybe you're going to help guide your evaluative process or give you more insight into where they sit. And then when I got to treatment, I would do a little bit of everything, right? I Let's do a little bit of endurance exercise. Let's do some motor control exercise. Let's do some strength exercise. Hey, let's do this manual therapy and that also that other type of manual therapy and that other type of manual therapy. And I'm going to, I'm going to hit them with a little bit of everything. And um, that way I'll paint with broad brush strokes. Right. And, and like you already mentioned, well, then you don't really have any good insight into what may have not been good, what may have been good, and you're not really honing in on developing what you mentioned, that clinical pattern recognition for certain patients. And while nobody is ever the same, there are groups of people that do present somewhat similarly with different conditions and with different histories and that sort of stuff. So I, I didn't have any of you know what you could call heuristics to, to anchor my thought process. And that's interesting because my, my, my background training was pretty heavily influenced by a, a Maitland thought process. And Maitland had a great clinical process. And that's actually the process that I most closely follow these days with the, the SINS model, you know, uh, really listening for how severe is this, really listening for how and, and testing and examining how irritable is this. You know, what's the nature? Is it is it achy? Is it sharp? Is it tingly? Is it numb? Is like is there motor weakness going along with it? What's going on? And, and what's the stage? Like, has th- did this just start? Was there a very clear mechanism of injury? Is it nebulous? Has it been going on for a long period of time? And now that thought process really guides my thinking on you know where I want to take the next steps after. I inter, you know evaluate a patient and while I'm evaluating them, but also even more so in the exercise, manual therapy, the treatment prescription, I guess you could call it. I need that data to have any chance of really developing a good plan um, and not just a single session plan, but a this week plan, a this month plan, and maybe a for the next couple of months plan. Um, 
I think when I came out of school, my process was to take it one day at a time, maybe sometimes one minute at a time, right? I had no forethought on what is the next session going to look like? What is it going to look like next week? What is it going to look like next month? And a lot of that is because you don't necessarily have the experience under your belt of seeing how people evolve over time and being part of that process. Um, but part of it was just not having any sort of clinical framework or, or uh, structured thought process going into what rehab should look like. Yeah, I think one of the things you talked about is just, you know, knowing what questions to ask, <clears throat> too, especially when, you know, the big push as we should be as far as more person centered care and, and, you know, talking about the biopsychosocial model, obviously, our best model going right now, um, you know, definitely caught a school. It was I. I'm going to interrogate you based on what I know from these PowerPoint slides I remember from school. Uh, I'm, it's going to talk about your tissues and tissue behaviors and all that stuff. And that's the strength of the Maitland system. And the Maitland system is definitely more than just the tissues as well. Um, they do a good job of trying to really conceptualize the patient who's in front of you and not just, you know, from a tissue perspective, but from a person perspective. And um, you, that's one of those questions that, and one of those concepts around questions where you got to learn how to have a narrative-based process within your 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 questioning and your uh, initial examination that your patient interview. You need to be able to be efficient in your clinical process. How do you gather the information that best understands where that human is that day at that moment in that time that might predispose them to be more not in line for a manual therapy treatment or may have different things that are going on in their life that need to be talked about before you can start really moving forward or, or some contributing factors that are going to be important discussion pieces. Maybe it's diet, sleep, stress, who knows what it is for that patient, but being able to question some of those things that I don't, I don't think we really get too much of a, a really good grounding in that. I'm sure it's improving. I'm sure in DPT education, but not as much as probably we'd like to see. And, uh, it, but it's hard to, to cover the whole gamut of, of clinical expertise in PT school. I've be being in academia a little bit, I've recognized that, you know, we got to get safe clinicians who pass board exams and who can enter the profession and be safe and effective. But, you know, to be good, it's a different animal to with a clinical process. That's where the clinic becomes your teacher. That's where the process too. I, I probably would say, I'd, I don't want to say wasted because it wasn't wasted, but I, I didn't have as much of an effective and, and efficient first probably five years of my career because I had zero process. It was just, you know, getting habits of things I throw at people without any real ways to validate what I'm doing beyond just natural history rolling through the things and I'm, you know, entertaining it. But it, yeah, that, that clinical process can really help you zero in early in your career to know, to start charting your course of what things are working with what patients and those patterns start forming more quickly. And the more people you see, the more patterns you see of conditions that this is how that condition presented last time. These are the things that worked last time. I'm going to go right to those things this time with this patient. And you start becoming a lot more effective and you, again, hopefully stave off a little bit of the burnout that can be a big problem with it. One of the things we were talking, Jared, before we came on the podcast was this thought of like humans being dynamic systems and, and where, you know, you're, there's multiple variables at play when you got patients in the room. And I think we tend to want to look at certain, think that the patient is a very, you know, variable type, you know, entity with where we're just going to a kinesiopathological model of let's just go after the tissues, pathologize and get some, some names out there that I can pathologize and treat. But obviously it's a little bit more detailed in that a little bit more complex than that. Um, what are your thoughts on students and in, in early career professionals, maybe even existing professionals have been out for a while who maybe haven't zoomed out past that, that kinesiopathological model and, and maybe what are some concepts they could kind of 
taken to mind to, to better understand that stuff and, and help their patients, of course. Yeah, I, that, that, that's a good question, because I think that for students in particular, um, on average, we're taught a very linear type approach, right? It, it's, uh, it's a very X versus Y. Like, if I do this, then I'll get that response. And if I do that, then I'll get you know, that other response. And there's no, there's no variability in there. There's no, um, there's no room for, you know, unexpected feedback or unexpected answers. When in reality, you know, I, I have a handful of foundational principles, or, you know, you could call them heuristics or whatever it is that kind of guide my thought process. And one of those, like you mentioned, is that the human is a dynamic system, which means that uh, if you put in X, that doesn't mean that you will automatically get Y to the system, right? You could get Y minus Y squared. You could get Y to the 15th power. Like you don't know exactly because when you add a stimulus or you, you, you add something to the system, there's a lot of different feedback. There's a lot of different, you know, responses that you can get. And there's a lot of different variables from a, from a bio perspective, but also from a psycho perspective, from a social perspective, from, uh, you know, the way that these interact with each other, from, you know, history of different injuries in the past and exercise experience and, you know, thought processes and expectations and current emotional status, et cetera, right? So you're not always going to get out Y when you put in X. So that's, that's foundational uh, as part of my clinical process. And then other things would be that uh, the human being is adaptable. That is, that is a foundational thought process that I have in my framework that means, you know, we can either have habituation or we can have sensitizations. We can have uh, adaptation and mal maladaptation for different levels, uh, you know, different tissues, different uh, psychological resiliencies, all this sort of stuff. Right. So I like to think about the human being as adaptable rather than a, a finite resource where their knee only has, you know, X amount of bends in their life or their back only has X amount of box lifts and then they're just done or we have to have this perfect, you know, mechanical approach. I, I tend to think that up to a certain point, every human's body has a capacity for adaptation. And I try to structure my thought process and I try to structure my exercise prescription under that umbrella or through that lens that we're trying to create adaptation and we're trying to maybe create habituation rather than sensitization and, and that sort of stuff. So um, you, the, the only way to really, I think, develop that is to be able to zoom out and realize that you're looking at somebody that isn't just a body. It's a body and, and a brain and a dynamic nervous system that uh, exists within a really complex environment which exists within a really complex culture and the there's arrows going up like the lower levels affect the higher levels and there's arrows going down the higher levels affect the lower levels and if you don't if you don't have that thought process yet or you haven't conceptualized that it's gonna be really hard for you to develop a more um you know maybe nuanced or more comprehensive framework when you work with people yeah, you, you mentioned a lot of heuristics a few times this uh, podcast. So, you know, it's it's a mental shortcut that a lot of times you develop as you kind of see things. And you, you use these, you know, if we go to Kahneman's type one, where it's just fast, reactive, kind of drawn off a of past experience type thing versus type two thinking, be more cognitively heavy thinking where you're really thinking and, uh, you know, picking things apart and really having a lot of that cognitive process of, of picking through processes and different things to where eventually you can make these mental shortcuts. Some of them very good and helpful, and we all use them well clinically. Your brain's very seeking to be an efficient uh, metabolic uh, 
you know, activity throughout the day. So instead of being, you know, very high metabolic load that the brain tends to be. So if we can have some shortcuts that help the brain work less hard, um, then your body tends to go that way, but you just got to be aware that sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but I think, you know, being aware of them is the first key part, which Jared has done nicely, but I like the, the adaptability and habituation thought processes too. I think sometimes we want to pathologize and that it's like, you, you, know, it's, you know, you're pathologized or you're well, well, you know, it's this continuum of eventually, yes, can we start introducing things into the system that that person can habituate to, um, knowing a lot of the factors that you pointed to, there's, there's a lot of things that are dynamically interacting and acting on that person at any moment in the clinic. And it can change session to session. Um, if you've ever had patients who've come in with a poor night's sleep, or you've had patients who've had a hell of a, you know, maybe they've had a fight with their spouse or they've had different Different things that, you know, you, traditionally we don't think, oh, yeah, let's file that in the background. Let's go do our PT now um, where, hey, that stuff definitively often can impact how they perform, how they're reacting to some of your treatment techniques that, man, they reacted so they re- responded so much better last time. But, you know, it's not always the case where those things impact, but I definitely have seen it more than once where you, you see these things that happen with patients and when, and it also, how many of you have seen patients where, man, life all of a sudden takes a turn for the good, man, something great happens and man, the body's feeling good. They're crushing it in PT. It's just like all of a sudden they're a different person. Um, and again, that's not, a, we should not take credit for that. I mean, definitely we coach and say, look at what your body's doing now that you're, this problem's handled in your life or whatever it may be for that patient. But yeah, looking at the process more than from a tissue deep level. And looking at the the process from a human level, and that's a very complex level to look at. But some of these processes allow you to kind of unpack, you know, what's the unique person's psychological status? What's that unique person's social status? What's the unique person's, you know, biomechanical status too? Because that we don't definitely think that's not important. It's important stuff for the right patient at the right time. Because yeah, let's. We're, I don't want to get fielded with a bunch of. Podcast uh, comments here on the podcast that we're just completely jumping to the psychosocial realm and just forgetting that, you know, sometimes those mechanical factors matter. But again, you need a process to determine if they matter, not just assume they matter for that patient in that treatment room that day. So, yeah, that's that's the key with the process. And I would highly recommend you guys. I mean, the Maitland process probably foundational in our profession as far as you know, a good clinical process that really kind of encapsulates the whole person. There's, there's other great processes with cognitive functional therapy. There's, there's, uh, you know, Matt Lowe does a lot of great stuff with his uh, vector diagrams and looking at person-centered ways of looking at uh, things. I mean, there's a lot of people kind of putting frameworks out there. The problem is there's a lot of stuff like, you know, from traditional manual therapy frameworks to cognitive functional therapy. What do you, what do you recommend kind of in that realm, Jared, to kind of bring it all together because it's, it's sometimes can be a, a, a sea of social media um, posts and infographics of how we should be doing it. But what do you think it would be a good strategy for folks to, to, to tackle some of that? I mean, <laughs> that, that's a really good question. As you were talking, I was thinking there are some good processes out there, right? There are some good frameworks. Matt Lowe does a great job with the dispositional model. Uh, you know, and Peter O'Sullivan does a great job with the cognitive functional therapy model. But the, the, the thing is that most people in clinic don't have somebody that they go to and they ask questions and they don't have somebody that goes to them and asks questions about what their thought process is. Why did they choose that intervention? Why are they going down that pathway? Why are they thinking what they're thinking? Right? So a lot of times we're left to our own devices to try to figure out these processes and figure out what we're doing in clinic by ourselves, And we don't have 
you know, we don't even know what we don't know, right? We don't know what our own biases are a lot of the time. So we're, we're stuck in a little bit of a, a, a bubble, you know, evaluating our process through our own biased lens. And we don't have a third party person that, that's asking us for feedback. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to do too much shameless self-promotion, uh, but this is our podcast. So, Hey, let's do it. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, having somebody, having somebody like in a coaching or mentorship role is one of the most uh, pivotal things that you can do for your career to have a third party that you trust and that you think is evidence-based that you think is doing a good job. And, uh, you know, you and I like to think that we're at least trying our best to do that to um, ask you questions and to guide you and to provide feedback and to kind of cut away some of the shaft, you know, and uh, really dive into what is your thought process? What is your clinical reasoning? Why did you choose that direction? Hey, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever looked at it that way? Why don't you go down this path? You know, and the vast majority of us, we just graduate and we go into clinic and we're trying to figure it out ourselves. We don't have somebody set up in that formalized mentorship role, uh, except for the very small amount of people that do a formal residency, which that's not necessarily a, a geographical or financially feasible approach for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. The residency approach and the, you know, even the fellowship approach, it's not an option for some people. And a lot of clinicians too come out of school to get thrown in a clinic by themselves. I remember having, um, you know, call it, you know, classmates getting out and they're like, Oh, I got this director position. I'm like, and they're by themselves. And to me, that that's you're going to create the most biased environment possible because you're going to only see the world through your eyes. You don't have any other eyes looking at your practice. You don't have anybody else to say, hey, is there other ways you could look at it and think about it? I, I think getting mentorship regularly, and, and it's something I seek uh, regularly, to just have people looking at my practice. So I don't just get start zeroing in and missing big picture stuff because we're humans. We tend to, to kind of narrow things probably to a, to a fault at times to where we think we're seeing it the right way. And, and it's just good to have, uh, you know, other eyes, mentors, coaches, different things that can, that can help you kind of zero zoom out of your practice, look at big picture, consider other things that the big thing with our coaching program that I've enjoyed um, is just seeing clinicians develop that process and have other clinicians kind of weighing in on what their decision-making is. When we have these uh, coaching calls, it's, it's fun to watch clinicians trading thoughts back and forth and, and, and different things with, Hey, here's what I did in my practice that with that kind of thing, have you tried this? And, and it's, it's been interesting. I've, I've learned, I think the, the, the selfishly, when I, I'm a a different human than Jared is, than our coaching folks are, and they're going to see things differently than than I've seen, than I see things because they've experienced a life and have a context they bring that's different than me to a treatment room that I've had numerous times where I'm like, man, I didn't really think of it that way or approaching it that way. It's an interesting way to go about it, but yeah. Um, if the coaching thing is something of interest to you and you're, you're hearing Jared and I talk, but of course, um, it, it is a program we run. There are great options out there. We've mentioned a few of them today. Um, our option is uh, through our Complete Clinician Supercharge program where um, we do exactly what Jared said. We, we get in your practice. We kind of talk you through what you're doing, why you're doing it, get you make sure, honed in on the clinical process so you can start being efficient. Um, we've talked a lot of clinicians about documentation and career directions and things more than just what we thought would be just strictly a, a clinical program. But if it's something you're interested in talking to us about, if it might be a good fit for you and your program and or in your practice and where you're at and with some of the struggles you are having, then jump on modernpaincare.com forward slash supercharged. Um, you can book a call with Jared or I and we'll, we'll sit down with you to talk and see if it's something that might be a good fit for you. Um, if, if not, we'll definitely point you into some directions of some resources and, and folks, I, I, the nice thing Jared and I've had, the, uh, you know, kind of 
lucky to have a, a network of folks that we can often refer people to. I've had a few folks in the VA system who have some unique VA type questions. And, you know, thankfully we got Katie Schottmeyer and some other folks that are at the VA. Then I say, hey, you need to talk to Katie because this, this, she knows 100% of what you're dealing with and can help you out with that. So with that said, Jared, is there anything else you want to leave folks with before we end up for today? Uh <laughs> You know, no, just like if you, if you, if you feel like you don't have a process right now and you, you know, it don't necessarily get, don't get upset with yourself. Don't get frustrated. I know that I felt really frustrated, especially, you know, early on in my career as a, as a new grad. Um, some of that comes with time and, you know, you can definitely, you can speed that up if you, you seek out strategic mentorship. And, uh, that's, that's just what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to get better. We're trying to serve our patients better. Um, you, you can't, you know, you can't kick yourself when you go home at night just because, uh, you know, you you haven't developed into a master clinician in a, you know, a couple of months out of school or even a couple of years out of school. And I know that that's something that a lot of people consistently struggle with. And it's something that I struggled with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That, that journey of expertise is one that never stops. There's no destination there. It's a day in and day out one that you just need to get a process to where you're getting better every day. And I think Jared and I both still look at each day in the clinic as a day to get better, a day to learn and a day to get humbled uh, from time to time. Definitely still happens regularly. Um, but being open to it and having a process to grow and learn from every opportunity in the clinic, man, it's what separates to what you know we think is true clinical expertise is really getting a process as early in your practice as you can to where that cl- clinic has you grown and, and, and instead of burning out and wanting to quit and doing the things that I did earlier in my career. So don't get to that point. You know, Seek out some coaching and mentorship um, and get your process honed in so you can start being effective and efficient in the clinic immediately. So anyway, with that said, if you have any other questions or comments or things you want to hear us talk about in the podcast, definitely reach out to Jared or I via social media. You know where to find us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, you can email me at mark at modernpaincare.com or jared at modernpaincare.com and we'll happily answer any questions through that medium as well. Um, but that's all we have for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.